0: morning I'll be reading from Psalm 20. I encourage you to grab your Bible, turn to Psalm 20, and follow as as I read aloud. You can follow along. This is a Psalm of David, Psalm 20. David says, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob set you securely on high. May he send you help from the sanctuary and support you from Zion. May he remember all your meal offerings and find your burnt offerings acceptable. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your counsel. We will sing for joy over your victory and in the name of of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen Though we have risen and stood upright. Save, O Lord. May the King answer us in the day we call. May the Lord bless the ring of his word. You may be seated this morning. And as we continue again in worship, I just encourage you to bow your heads, your hearts with me, and let me pray. Lord, it is a great And wonderful honor to bow our heads, to bow our lives before you and call upon your great name. It is a humbling realization. You are God. You have created everything. You have set everything in its place. You are the one who has created us and you've given us life and breath that we might be here today. Using the very things, Lord, our life to acknowledge you, to praise you, to call upon you. Father, we simply, with an attitude of reverence and humility, we, we acknowledge you are worthy of all praise. All the praise we can muster of a lifetime. You are worthy unto yourself. By yourself, just being who you are, Lord, you are glorious and worthy of praise. You are mighty. You are the mighty God. You are all-powerful in all your ways, And yet you are full of grace and mercy, Lord, to us. You desire, Lord, that we would call upon your name. You are the just and the one who justifies all those who repent and believe on Christ. You hear us, just as David says. Lord, you hear, and we have confidence of your word, Lord, that when we pray your purpose and your will, we know you hear us you hear all those who come to you through Christ. Father, again with humility and reverence, we just simply say thank you. Thank you for Easter that we celebrated last week. But today we also live in the reality of the empty tomb. We live in the reality of the cross. And Christ has taken care of not some, but all of our sin. He is the risen Savior. That you love us this way. God, thank you. We acknowledge, Lord, just as we've come to Calvary and we see, Lord, it, that uh, the sacrifice necessary, Lord, to uh, heal uh, and, and to repair and to create new, really, Lord, in us, to save us. We see uh, what it took. And so, God, we know that as believers, followers of Jesus Christ, we still struggle in the body against our sin. And so, God, we ask this morning... I ask on behalf of every soul here, Lord, that is in Christ, that you would forgive us. Lord, that uh, whether those sins manifested themselves through our thoughts, or they work their way towards words, or even actions and deeds, God, we, we acknowledge that all our sin is against you. And you only have we sinned, we become lawbreakers. And so, God, we ask that you would forgive us, that we would have right fellowship with you, right communion with you. We pray the Holy Spirit would reveal, Lord, hidden areas in our own life where maybe we have pride or we have justified sin. Uh, Lord, we see throughout your word you take sin very seriously. Calvary tells us and shows us this. So, Lord, as we continue to grow in our maturity and to battle with the sin that's remaining in us, we, we pray for, Lord, your Spirit to fill us and to empower us that we might Lord, live holy lives for you. God, we, we plead that you would open our ears this day to hear your word, that we would understand your word. Pray that you would open our eyes to see your hand of providence and goodness in our own lives, that we would realize the very breath we have is a, just a wonderful gift from you, as your word says. We pray, Lord, uh, with David, that in times of our trouble, <clears throat> God, that you would remember us. David says, "Lord, uh, save us when we answer or answer us on the day when we call and save us." So God, we, we pray that in, in these moments of difficulty of life and the situations we might find ourselves in, even this morning, God we pray that you would hear us, that you would answer us, that you would deliver us. And we are so, Lord, grateful and thankful that you are true, you are true to your word, that you change not. you are faithful. Lord, we are thankful that just like David, we can come and boast in the name of the Lord our God. You are all-powerful, all-knowing. You are ever-present, Lord, in your omnipresence. That, Lord, gives us profound confidence and peace that we have joy, Lord, in Christ and in you. Father, thank you. And we know, Lord, you've done all these things. You desire that we would cast all our cares upon you. So we pray, Lord, I pray first for your church this morning to stand strong upon your word and to preach Christ and nothing else. That there would be an awakening and a revival. You would stir us, Lord, back to the truths of your word. That we would seek the old paths. That we would not be consumed with Uh, Lord, clever things or gimmicks, but we would just come back to the power of the word preached. Lord, I pray that the church would be a powerful impact on our nation, upon communities. I ask, Lord, that there would be a wonderful uh, growing of your kingdom, that uh, our nation, Lord, through your church would be reached with the gospel. Uh, We pray for gospel impacts in our community here. Uh, We pray, Lord, against unrest. We pray for for protection over our first responders and those who serve in the medical field and all these different areas that are necessary in our communities. We ask, God, your hand to be upon them. Uh, We pray this morning, Lord, for those in our own body who are in need of a physical touch. As Grace Hand was mentioned, Lord, there are others in need of healing. We lift them to you. Uh, we pray, Lord, for those who need a financial help, God, that you would be their provider. I pray for those who are maybe just struggling spiritually, questioning what maybe Easter is about, or what uh, the gospel is about, or even uh, struggling to, to with doubt, wondering if it's all true. I pray your spirit would, uh, Lord, enlighten them. I pray for the ministries of this church, all our small groups. pray for our student ministry and children's ministry and our men's, Lord, grow these areas. Let the the heartbeat of all our ministries and all our leadership be to preach your word, not ourselves, to glorify Christ. And I just pray, Lord, for every soul here this morning, that, Lord, we would not be simply hearers of your word, but we would be doers. Lead us in the area of our influence, in the place you have placed us. Let us be a voice and a light for you. And Father, for the other cares and things upon our our hearts this morning, we simply come to you and we cast them down. We ask that you would be Lord over all of it, that, Lord, in the midst of our difficulty, when it seems that help is so far away, let us pray as our Savior prayed, not our will, your will be done, your way. Lord, thank you for for that truth, that confidence. Let us rest in who you are, your power. We pray, Lord, over the offering this morning, those prepared to give, as always, that our heart would be a heart of worship, simply acknowledging, Lord, you don't define us by our resources. You call us sons and daughters of the King. So, Lord, as an act of worship, we give. So let our heart be there. Let the offering be used for the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you. We love you. We pray this, all this, according to your glory, your purpose, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen All right. I'm not sure, is Lynn here, do we dismiss the children this morning? No one knows, just like me, that's great, right? Uh, usually the last Sunday of the month is communion Sunday, and we keep the kids in, but this we had communion on Good Friday, so um, no one's getting up, so I'm going to say, keep them in. All right? All right, so if you would, as, as uh, we look to God's Word now, if you would turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, it is my desire, and uh, I pray it be God's will that we would finish. I began verses 6, 5 and 6, and uh, um, someone was long-winded. I don't know what happened that day, but we didn't get through, through verse 6, so I'd like to Lord willing, get through verse 6. On the way home last Sunday, my wife told me, you need to stick to your notes. Right? You're going too long. My wife is right. I need to stick to my notes. Um, we, so, part of my reasoning for coming back, I know it would be easy to simply kind of you know, move on and go to the next little section that, that Paul is unfolding for us, but uh, part of me doesn't want to run through too quickly through these verses. I think uh, Paul uh, is, is tackling something we all need to hear. That resonates with all of us, and of course, it's God's word. We know this. Um, you know, last few Sundays, this is of course, I mean, three or four Sundays back, I talked about. How there's a spiritual reality to every person born. Right? you're you're not an accident. You're not a mistake. You're not a throwaway. You're born with a spiritual reality. Um, you're born right. Unfortunately, because of the sin of of Adam breaking the covenant, we're all born uh, into Adam, and we're born with a sin problem. Is is Excuse me. Jesus says in John uh, three eighteen, "You're born condemned. You're condemned already. He who's not in Christ is condemned." So we have this problem, and there's a spiritual reality, and and Paul is addressing this church, and he's saying, uh, you, "You know, this is where we planted. This is what it is. This is the gospel." He spent all of chapter three saying, "This is the gospel. Uh, this is what it means. The new covenant has come, and." You know, I look upon these things and I, and I sometimes I feel like the church needs to do not, not walk away or simply think I prayed a prayer and I'm good, but to press in. Uh, you know, move forward in understanding what it means to follow after Christ. If we're, if we're redeemed, if we've prayed that prayer, it's not just a prayer that saves us, but if we've prayed that prayer and we're picking up the cross, then let's press into Christ. Let's, let's follow after Him. In John, I know last Sunday we looked at John three sixteen, but in three twenty one, Jesus tells us what it means to believe. He says, "This is a person who practices truth." So we want to see these things developing in us. We want to have this conviction. And so verses five and six is Paul is unfolding for us really God's answer. Uh, You know, in the face of Christ, the, the light has has shined in us. And what are we to do with that? Simply set on these things? Are we simply to look back at that moment where I came to believe or, or do I get going and start maturing and start being a voice and a light in the context of where God has placed me? Well, I hope that you would press on as I was looking at uh, this this passage, I came across uh, this quote, and i don 't know if it 's harry truman it 's attributed to him i 'm sure many others have said it, but he he talks about the, uh, when he talks about a man um, <laughs> who was always looking backwards, right? He, he says, it reminds me of a toy that I'm sure you all know, and the toy is a small wooden bird uh, called a flugy bird. Uh, someone heard of that? I don't know. So I didn't ever hear of that, but I'm so much younger, <laughs> And he says, this bird right, had a label around its neck and it said, I fly backwards, I don't care where I'm going, I just want to see where I've been. Um, so I'm going to go with you, I don't know that either, but I'm going to trust that that's true, right? <clears throat> but here's the reality, I think sometimes in our walk we, we look back on a moment and we, we, we kind of think, well that's, that's it. Um, that's, that's that moment, and that's great. I mean, if we've come to believe and that's it, but there should be ongoing growth and maturity in us. We don't want to be like this wooden bird that just simply looks backwards, but it has Christ in front of us as we live this life. Because God's answer is not simply to redeem you, although it is. I mean, Easter sh- shouts that. But his, his answer is that you would move forward. And this is Paul's conviction that there would be growth. He's writing to all these churches. This is his heart. So to get us in context, I'm going to begin. This is chapter 4 of Second Corinthians. I'm going to begin in chapter, or excuse me, verse 1, and I'll read through 6, just so you're kind of a little bit reminded. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we received mercy, we do not lose heart. Right? Amen. Here's a contrast, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by manifestation of excuse me, the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Right? We've displayed everything. I told you everything. And verse three says, "And if and even if our gospel is veiled." It is veiled to those who are perishing. In whose case the God of this world has blinded, blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord in ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. And then our verse, verse 6. For God who said, light shall shine out of, out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Let me offer a brief prayer as we look at this passage this morning. Lord we thank you again for this day and this time. We, we simply ask now that your spirit would teach us, uh, fill us afresh and anew, Lord, that we would grow in our understanding and our maturity. Um, and Lord, as, as always, get me out of the way that we would receive, each would receive what you have for us today, and I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So Paul is coming and he's dealing with uh, The peddlers of the word, word. he's dealing with false teachers, he's dealing with uh, Christians, professing Christians uh, who are not Christians. Um, That's kind of what's happening, and he writes these things saying, look, the the gospel is veiled because you're perishing. Um, Last Sunday I preached on John 3.16, and the confidence that we have of those in Christ is they will not perish, Right? God so loved the world, he gave his only son, his unique son, that whoever believes in him will not perish and have everlasting life. And Paul is saying, you know, if the, if the gospel is offensive to you or there's elements that you don't like about it, he's saying the problem isn't the message, it's not the messenger. The problem is your, your heart is veiled. And then he says you are perishing. And that's should grab us and shake us a little bit. And we, we see when we begin to understand that, that Paul, his desire, his passion is to preach Christ and not mess around with this. He's dealing with souls, right? You are a soul. This morning we are dealing with souls. And it's important for us to say, well, I'm, I, there's a spiritual reality and I'm going in one or two places. That's all the Bible gives you. Regardless of what culture may say or anyone else may tell you, there's only two endings to your life uh, on earth. Both are eternal and they go in radically different places. So the last time as I looked at this, I said there must be a challenge, right? There has to be something that resonates in every Christian to say, well, let's come back and make sure we got this right. And so last time, a few weeks back, if you remember, I I quoted from Jeremiah 6.16 where God is immensely gracious, even though Judah is turning their back upon God, wants nothing to do uh, with God. And so he says these words through Jeremiah. God speaks through Jeremiah and says, Stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient path. Where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. You know, God is saying, come back to the fork in the road. There's a place in your life, right, as an individual soul, or as a church, or as a nation. In this context, there's a place where you have gone wrong. You took the wrong turn. And God is immensely, immensely patient and loving. I mean, they are turning their back on him, and he's saying, come back to that fork in the road. He says, you will find rest for your souls. We think of that and. And maybe in your Bible, there's a cross-reference to Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, where Jesus says, come to me. Right? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn, right, grow, develop, understand, deepen, mature, learn from me. And I will be gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest. There's our parallels, and it rests for your souls and he tells us, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Jesus is saying, come back to his way. Come to me, come to Christ. Don't look for Christ anywhere else. Look for Christ in Christ. John says it like this, 1 John 2, 6, the one who says he abides in him, Jesus, ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. We are to follow after him, right? These are marks of what it means to be a Christian, going back to John three twenty one, Jesus says he practices the truth. In Matthew 7, he says, the wise person who builds on the rock implements what he is t- teaching. So there's development. There is this way in which is right. And there is a way which seems right to us, but is wrong. And I think, as I mentioned last time, if you remember that this church is at a little bit of a crossroads. And I think maybe in our own spiritual life, you may be experiencing a little bit of a crossroads. My plea to you is to come back to the ancient past. Come back to the Savior who says, come to me. So in this passage, as we read, we see that Paul is preaching not himself. He's preaching Jesus. And so the last time as we looked at verse 5... I said God's answer to this spiritual reality, and of course we're we're born into sin, is that he he has a message for us. There's the clarity of his message. We do not preach Christ, we preach Jesus. Paul has done this from the very beginning, in the first letter, right? We preach Christ, him crucified. And I said last time, not all sermons are equal, right? Not all messages are equal. From pulpits, mean that they're all the same because we have a tendency to go about things our own way. Paul is saying, I'm not going to go my way. I'm not going to go the Apostle Paul way. I'm going to come back and say, here's Jesus. We are not to compromise the Word of God. Paul would not allow those who are peddling the Word of God or those false teachers to to dilute the message. This is why he comes back and he's stressful here. There is to be the presentation of the clarity of the message. I also said in the second part of verse 5, when he says, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. I said, God's answer is demonstrated to the lost in you and in everyone who professes Christ. I read this week a good quote. I love J.C. Ryle. Anytime I see J.C. Ryle quotes that pop up in my social my, um Facebook feed, I always pause and read his quotes um, because JC Riles is really good, right? I can't say it like him. But he just simply said, you know, every believer is a walking sermon to the lost. And I thought, wow, that's very befitting for where we're at, right? But you are to represent Christ. So Paul uses this word. It's translated in my Bible as bondservant. It might be bondservant in your Bible or it might be simply servant, but the word the Greek word is doulos. And then the word simply means slave. And many of the translators of, of our English Bible know of, of our American history, and so uh, we, just, we don't translate that word. But that's the reality of what Paul is getting at. He doesn't mean uh, to, to mean in a, in a physical sense. He's completely speaking spiritual. And he equates it to the reality that Jesus himself became this for him. this is why he says, not for my sake, for Jesus' sake. Paul will say in Philippians chapter 2, 1-11 through 11, that Jesus became a slave for us. Set his glory aside. He prayed not his will, the Father's will, so that we might be redeemed. Paul is grabbing that and saying, this is, this is who I am. He's told the Corinthians in their first letter, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, you are not your own. You've been bought at a price. We say this language often, right? We refer to Christ as Master and Lord. Well, that, right, necessitates our response. Who are we in relation to that? And Paul saying, I am not coming to this church. I'm not coming and battling these things. I'm not coming of my own sake. I'm not trying to make a name for myself. I simply want you as a soul, as a created being, to know Jesus Christ. Don't listen to the peddlers. Don't listen to those who are deluded. Come back. Have your Bible open, right? What is it saying for us today, right? And, and search the scriptures, so that's the review. That's what we looked at at verses, uh, excuse me, verse 5. Right, I meant to get through 5 and 6, but going on now in your outline of just two points. Lord willing, we'll get through them. But the first one is this. God's answer is, is a power of resurrection. It's a pretty profound what Paul is saying here. And he speaks of God creating and shining light in the darkness. Right? He says, for God. Here's this, another reason. Right? For God who said... Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shone in our hearts. God's answer, right, to our sin problem, our darkness, dealing with the God of this world who has blinded, right, our hearts, is to shine a light that dispels all darkness. God still sovereignly saves, God has all the power. To resurrect the spiritually dead. And that's the reality of it. This is Paul's uh, confidence. God still saves is why he's still writing. And why he is suffering in his body. All the things that he's endured. Why? Because God still saves. I preach Christ and no other. Him crucified. Because the hardest heart right, can be broken down. It can be transplanted. The darkest cell uh, Lord, the, you know, God can shine a light. He can penetrate into the darkest night. He can cast light into the darkness' sail. He can shine a light and the darkness flees. This is Paul's conviction. This is where he rests. To really put this in perspective of, of the, the, the necessity of God shining a light right, of the power of resurrection, I just encourage you, turn in your Bibles quickly uh, to Ephesians. Turn to the right, Ephesians chapter 2, a few pages over, depending on the size of your Bible and the point type, right, the font size. Ephesians chapter 2, and listen to these words, the first five verses. Listen to how Paul explains, you know, who we are outside of Christ, Beginning in verse 1, chapter 2, he says, and you were, writing to professing believers, he says, you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. This is who you were. And he begins to explain that, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince, there's our God of the world, right? Prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. That's who you were. That's who I was. That's who Paul once was, even though he thought he was laboring for God, right, as he was ultimately uh, working against God. And he says in verse 4, But God, look at that contrast. You were dead. You were walking in the world. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, or excuse me, our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Why is it important that we say there's, it takes a light to shine? Because if there's anything... In, in one person, that's not in another. We could say some deserve this and some didn't. But Paul will have none of that. Paul has placed himself in this. Paul's resume is impressive, right? He was born of the right family. He was a religious leader. He had it all worked out. He had it together, and yet he says, this is who I was. To the ground is level. Every single one of us need to have a light shining in us. We have sung this hymn before. I love this this lyric. We didn't sing it this morning, but Charles Wesley wrote, And can it be? And I just want to read the third stanza where he says, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night, thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light, my chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose went forth and followed thee. This is the reality. Charles grabbed hold of that. Right Here is the light that is shining. Paul's conversion is testament to this. This is the foundation of his ministry. Paul thought as a religious leader he had this all worked out. I imagine as he was present at the stoning of Stephen, he had to think, What does Stephen have that I don't? How is it that he has peace in this midst of being stoned and him saying, Lord, forgive them, just like our Savior prayed in Luke's account? How is it that he can have that? I mean, there's something that has to be eating at Paul. Clearly, he goes from there on the road to Damascus, and God shines a light. God resurrects the spiritual dead In this letter, chapter 5, verse 17, Paul will speak to this as a new creation. God is going to form something new. See, when we come back to the way that Christ tells us come to me or the ancient past that say find me and seek me and then you will right come to this moment of coming my way and understanding and growing and knowing and all these things that come from seeking God through his word. Paul compares this moment that we will see a light shine. He compares it to this new creation. Hence light will shine in the darkness. In Genesis 1, 1 through 3 The very beginning, first letter, first book of the Bible, uh, Genesis 1, 1 1-3 says this, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Paul paints this picture, this reality that, that we're born into darkness. We need a God who will shine a light. The Those who are outside of Christ are, are in spiritual, spiritual darkness. They are void and empty, to use the language of creation. And when we preach the gospel, we come back to the ancient past, and we say, here is God's answer. and God shines a light, as, as His Word tells us, right, with the Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. We know that there is a new creation happening. Paul will say again in chapter 5, verse 17 there, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. All things fast away. Behold, all things have become new. You see the tenses. God will do this. God will bring about resurrection in our lives. This has wonderful implications. One, to understand that our God is God. He creates. He speaks and creates. He can take the hardest heart and change it. If you're praying for someone this morning, you've been evangelizing someone this morning, and you're feeling, I'm just about to give up on praying for them or sharing with them, do not yield. Continue to speak truth, because no one is outside of his ability to change. Paul says, look, here is, here is the resurrection. Here is the light that has shined. Here is a light that has shined in us. He did it in creation. He is doing it now. This is, again, why we don't preach ourselves. We preach Christ. Why? Because we need God to shine through his word. And then the last point here, point two. God's answer, of course, is the person of Jesus Christ. Just as Paul has told us, for the sake of Christ... Uh, in the verses previous to this, <clears throat> that we see the same idea, the same passion, right? In verse 5, for Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as slaves for Jesus' sake. We see it here, the, the person of Christ. We see the, to give a light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Here we see the importance, right, why we must get the message right. You know, it's interesting and, and I think very impactful to us as we think about what it means to look into the face of Jesus. You know, One thing that um, we understand as humans, we can give, especially married couples, we know how to give that look to our spouse without using any words, and our spouse knows exactly right, what's, what's about to happen later, right? We can give that look and we can know beyond a shadow of doubt, oh, I know what my spouse is thinking. And you can imagine for a moment this scene where Peter has denied Jesus. Three times in Luke's account, we we see this. They're in the courtyard where they most likely made eye contact the third time that Peter denied Jesus. He's most likely seeing and looking into his face. And they both understand when that rooster crows. You can imagine what did Peter see. He knew right away, right, his life, of course, was shattered, he was broken. I think there's something wonderful, as Paul hits on this, that it's in the face of Christ. We are not saved by a a confession, although those are important. We're not saved by precepts and principles of Scripture, although they are necessary. But we are saved in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We I mean, listen to Jesus' prayer, his priestly prayer in John 17, 20 and 21, where he says, I do not ask, praying to God the Father, he says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, meaning his disciples, but for those also who believe in me through their word. The apostles' doctrine. Well, Jesus is praying for you and I. And he says that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. That uh, so that the world may believe that you sent me. We would believe on Christ. We believe that He is come. That He was born sinless. That He walked this earth. That He went to the cross. That He rose. Again, see, Christianity is not to be some other philosophical religion. It's not meant to be stacked along these other things. It's not meant to be, uh, for the Christian, simply an accessory. It's not uh, meant for any of that. It's meant to stand alone. Paul has made this point going back to the first letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18-21, through 21, where he says this, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, We've seen that word a few times, those who are perishing, if the gospel is veiled, those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. And then Paul says, where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. We don't come to Christ through the world. We don't come to Christ through the culture. We don't come to Christ on our own way. We come to Christ through the message preached. That's what Paul is saying here. I don't preach myself. I preach Christ And it's not meant to be stacked along everything else. It is the uniqueness and the power and the reality that Christ has come. I mean, think about it for a moment. What God took to redeem us. We we hear these stories often, but think about the expressions on Jesus' face when you hear things like he was born sinless into a poor family. What did Jesus look like suffering as a poor person a little bit? What was the expression when he suffered the miseries of this life? When he endured pain and suffering? When he suffered hunger and thirst? When he suffered rejection and disappointment? What about the moment when when Peter betrayed him? How about when he was taken captive or falsely accused? What, what was the expression on his face when, when those spat upon him right, and beat him and they scourged him and they mocked him? What about the moment where they took the th- crown of thorns and not just placed it, but, but pressed it down on his head? What about the moment where they nailed the sign above the cross that says, here is the king of the Jews? What about those that, who were mocking him and yelling at him while he was nailed to a cross? What was the expression when he bled and died? And then, of course, what was the expression when he rose again? This, all of this, is in the face of Jesus. Paul's point is that the glory of God, seen in the image of Jesus... When the gospel is preached, when Christ is lifted high, this is the light that needs to shine, to change, right? Even the hardest of hearts. Christ is a tangible reality of the power of God. And I believe, and I think you would agree with me, that the face of Christ is the greatest drive and passion for all those who are in Jesus, we don't want to be those who are looking at our shoes when the Lord returns, knowing that we haven't been living the way we should have. We want to be those that, that embrace and see and can't wait to look in, in the eye. Remember the context of this passage Paul is talking about the reality of every soul. There is an eternal place for every soul. There is a reality for the peddlers of God's word. There is a reality for the false teachers. They are outside of Christ. There are those who profess Christ yet do not know Christ. The gospel is still veiled, and that's evident in their life. So really uh, bring this home, and just to point Paint the picture of the reality of of this moment of seeing Christ. Would you turn in your Bibles to the right once again to Revelation this time? Revelation chapter 6, and I want us to just simply read as you see the expression of those who are outside of Christ at this moment. Verses 15 and 16 of Revelation chapter 6. Says Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders of the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. This is where those who are on the wrong path end. For the believer, those who have repented of their sins, believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, we long for a different moment. Turn once again in Revelation a little bit more to the right. in Revelation chapter 22. Verse 4. So this moment of coming into glory and they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. See, God has an answer to every every soul. God has an answer to the problem of our sin. He will not force salvation on those who do not want him, those who reject him, but he will shine a light on all those who come according to his way. So the the question for us today is, what are you seeing in the face of Jesus? Jesus. Are you ready to live your life, pick up that cross, and follow after him? Or are you more consumed with what's happening in the culture, your reputation, or whatever else it might be? John MacArthur said this, you can be faithful, or you can be popular, but you can rarely have both. So my appeal to you this morning, church, is do you want to see the lights of the glory of God shining in the face of Christ and Let's come back, right, and stay on, and let's hold each other accountable to stay on the old path. Do you want to see the light of the glory of Jesus Christ in your own life? Then get God's Word open and begin to seek Him and to follow after Him. <clears throat> Do you want to see it uh, manifest itself more than just on Sundays, but on Monday and Tuesday and every day of the week? Then get that Bible open and start seeking Him pick up that cross and, and stand for Christ and say my allegiance lies not with myself but with Jesus and for His sake. Because you understand that I was born with a sin problem and yet I know that there is a Savior who has come who has taken my sin problem to the cross and He's overcome the world. And I, like Paul, want to say, Lord, let me live for You, not for me, but for You. Let me realize that Jesus has done this for me. He humbled himself. He went to the cross. He went to the garden. He it was the one who prayed, not my will, your will be done. And because of that moment, I can have an eternal hope like no other. What a wonderful Savior. I believe, and I think you would agree with me, the days ahead of us are not going to get easier, but probably more, more difficult It's going to take right those who will stand for Christ who will say, I will be unwavering here. I'm not going to allow the culture or society or false teachers to dilute the teaching of God's Word no matter how difficult it might be. We have to come back and say, this is what His Word says. And why is this so important? Because this is the answer and it is the only answer. When I was at the Shepherds Conference, there was one speaker, I don't remember who it was, shared the story of the hymn, I have decided to follow Jesus. I was unaware of of the story behind it, but I was quietly impacted by it. The story is told of a missionary who went to India to a very uh, violent tribe, And he spent years there trying to see someone come, someone from the tribe to come and believe, but they had such hard hearts. And over years of serving and and just pouring his life, finally there was one family, a husband and a wife and their two sons who came to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. When the tribal leader heard of this, he called that family and said, you must renounce this Jesus. And it is recorded that his answer to the chief was, I have decided. I have decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. Often we see this hymn and we think it's, it's about salvation. This hymn is a hymn of confession. The tribal leader did not like that answer, and so he brought his two sons and said, you must renounce or we're going to kill them. And it's recorded that they shot his two sons with arrows in front of him. And while he was standing there, while his sons were still dying, they said, renounce them or we'll do the same to your wife. And it's recorded that he says, no, no one joins me, yet I will follow. There's no turning back. And in front of them, they Killed his wife. And as the story unfolds that they asked him, this is it, you're you're next, we're going to kill you. To which he said, the cross is before me. The world is behind me. There's no turning back. And they killed him. So overwhelmed at such dedication. The tribal leader sought the missionary. and said, you must tell me about this Jesus. Who is this man that would sacrifice his own children, his wife, and his very life? Who is this man? And it is recorded that the leader came to believe. And ultimately, the whole tribe came to believe. Why? Because there was one. That I will not preach myself, but I will preach Christ. I will not live for myself, I will live for Christ. That's the power of the gospel. Clearly, through Holy Spirit power, he was able to endure all of that, entered into glory, looking at the face of Jesus, his Lord and his Savior. And because of that act, many come to believe. I think the problem today is not so much that the truth isn't there, it's just that we don't live in such a way that we actually believe it. I think there is a call, right? What do you see in the face of Jesus? And where is your conviction? Have you made that decision as a believer I'm going to follow? Here in a moment, we're going to sing that hymn, and I just encourage you in an attitude of prayer. Between you and the Lord, you make up your own mind. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time you've given to us. Simply come, open your word. I thank you for the challenge, Lord, of this word today, even in my own heart. And it is my prayer, and, and I just pray it for me, Lord, that, that I would be Lord one who would not yield but long to see the face of Christ, my Savior. So Lord, by your Spirit, strengthen us, fill us, fill us anew and afresh. That we'd be empowered to be a light that shines because there is a spiritual reality of every soul we come in contact with. And we believe, Lord, that God has the answer. So let us not live for ourselves, but live for Christ strengthen us, Lord, encourage us, not out of guilt, not out of any motivation other than our love and our joy and our desire to see the face of our Savior. Lead us that way for your glory. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing this hymn, and I encourage you again.